Now, let's give another round of applause for Johnny. Man, that was awesome. You know, there's a, it's just crazy to think about all the ways that God is moving in our family here uh, with, you know, teen camp. That's been such an encouragement for Alicia and I to just see uh, our ministry just come back revitalized. Uh, but to also have great news like Johnny coming back to the church. Uh, it is such a celebration in heaven. So therefore, it needs to be a celebration here in our church. Amen. Uh, but we have some bitter and sweet news. I know we didn't really announce it in the announcements. Uh, but as we have, obviously, Johnny coming back uh, to our family, we're going to actually have someone uh, leave our family for some time. Uh, and that's our very own Chloe Sweeney. Uh, you guys don't remember at our, uh, at our graduation service, uh, we announced that she's going to be attending Harvard Law. Uh, and so this is, let's give a round of applause. Man, like, Chloe's like the princess of the desert, so there's a, it's going to be, her presence is definitely going to be missed. And so let's pray for her. If you guys uh, haven't said hi to her or uh, want to just say your goodbyes, this is going to be her last service. So let's give another round of applause for Chloe. We're going to miss you. We're going to miss you so much. Um, but uh, I'll be here in the title, uh, the title slide. Uh, it says, Better Together. Uh, and if you guys were here last week, uh, Scott introduced that this is our limited series for the, uh, for the summer season here in the desert, uh, titled Better Together. And so there's going to be a loose collection of talks. And really, I love how this will be a direction for our body uh, because, you know, that, that we have to be reminded that we work better together. Don't we, church? Don't we? How many of us believe that Christianity is a team sport? Who believes that? Christianity is definitely a team sport. And to reflect in some of the two points from last week that Scott really preached powerfully, if you haven't seen it, it's on our YouTube. Uh, But his first point was together in mercy, that there is this conflict between the idea of law, uh, but also with mercy and wrestling with the truth that we serve a merciful God. Uh, We serve a God that wants to grant us grace and love, and God gives us what we don't deserve, but he gives because we need it, right? He gives his love because we need it. And the second point was together in gifts, right? That, that grace through the Spirit of God is this gift that is given us by God that we can use that grace to strengthen, encourage, and bolster one another. And so really just the, uh, the lesson that I took away and really something that I want you guys to walk away with in our time this afternoon is that the goodness of God is best experienced when we share it together, when we share that goodness of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to study out a scripture together to help us move along this idea uh, that we are truly better together. And it's a pretty famous image in the Gospels and one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Amen. Uh, so let's turn our Bibles to Mark 2. Verse 1 to 12, but as you guys turn there, let's say a word of prayer uh, and allow the Spirit to really be with us uh, this afternoon. Amen. So bow our heads and a word of prayer with me. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you so much, God, for the time that you've given us um, so far that it's just been an encouraging service. God, of all the great news that's been happening, all the ways that you've been moving, um, but it's such a great reminder of all the ways that you will continue to move uh, in this season, especially in the summer. Lord, I pray that as we uh, think about this idea of being better together. Help us to really be uh, loved by one another. Help us to feel loved by one another. Help us to love one another. Uh, God, as we reflect on this amazing love that we can only have through your son, Jesus. 
uh, who is an example of perfect love. Be with us, to, be with us today. Uh, move me aside. Allow your words to really shine through this time. Pray for everything in your mighty son's name. And the church says, amen. 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 Let's, let's go ahead and turn to Mark 2, verse 1 to 5. It's up here on the screen. But it says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such a large number that there was no room left, not even outside the door. But he preached the word to them. You know, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. You know, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat uh, that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Don't we love that Jesus forgives sins? Amen. But the Pharisees didn't think so. Because we read here, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this, was what the, this, this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Amen. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like that. How awesome is that story, right? And we, we all know the story pretty well. Raise your hand if you heard the story before. We heard the story multiple times. You're probably thinking, Roy, why are you preaching this passage again? We heard it multiple times, right? Uh, but when we encounter this passage, I think what, what comes to my mind is this idea of friendship, right? This idea of friendship. Uh, it challenges us to reevaluate the people we surround ourselves with. And you're probably looking around at some people and you're thinking to yourself, man, why don't you treat me like that, right? Why, why don't you uh, carry me, right? We're probably thinking that, but that's just probably me, right? But I wanted to inform you this afternoon that this, it, this practice, uh, this practice of friendship and how we see in the example of these four friends is essential to our walk with God, and we must do this on a regular basis. We've got to practice this passage out. Why? Um, because something that I've been reflecting on um, by a theologian named A.W. Tozer, and it's found in this book called Seven Rules of Self-Discovery, Right. Uh, It was introduced to uh, his readers because Tozer believed that because of the fear and uncertainty that we can experience as people, it it makes it easy for us to kind of hide our true selves. When when we encounter, you know, obstacles or fear, it it causes us to kind of shell up. So not only do we conceal it within, but what we what happens is we conceal it and deceive ourselves, but also we tend to deceive the people around us. Right, that we are a people that crave authenticity. Right, we are a church that wants authenticity here in our family. But what we see is that the world is continually searching for the real thing. So not only do us as a church crave authenticity, but everyone outside the world is craving the real thing, whether they believe it or not. But Tozer demands us to take inventory of who we are. Right, and luckily in our faith, we also believe that God cares more about the internal than the external. 
God cares more about the internal than the external. So I'm going to share with you guys some of the seven rules of self-discovery. And if you guys have never heard about this or never read it, I recommend uh, you guys to maybe study it out in your own time. But number one, it says what we want the most, what we think about the most, how we use our money, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, who and what we admire, and what we laugh at. And Tozer believes that if you reflect on these things but channel it in a way that gives us uh, a meaningful, authentic gratification uh, in the ways that God wants us to experience these things, it certainly will help kind of uncover who you really are on the inside. But what we're going to focus on is number five, the company we enjoy. So I want us to focus on that. And so I want you to focus on, on this idea of company, so the friends in your life, right? And this rule helps me understand that the company you keep, uh, and I'm saying it again, the company that you keep can tell you or can tell a whole, uh, a whole lot about who we are, right? There's this famous saying, right? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Crazy, right? You know, this idea of relationships is quite important and absolutely biblical because let's take it back to Genesis. So we take it back in the beginning of the Bible. You know, many believe that in the creation of man, the first sin was disobedience, right? The way that Adam and Eve uh, just blatantly turned away from God's uh, commands to not eat that fruit. But if you really read, it's not really disobedience that was the first thing that was wrong, but it was solitude. It was solitude. Because we know that Adam walked with God, and, and we, had, uh, we had this you know, connection. Uh, he, or he had this connection with the Creator. But, but catch that, when God saw him uh, alone, he mouthed the words in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. Right? So he saw that solitude was not a good thing. So what he did was, out of Adam's rib, he fashioned uh, a woman. Right? Uh, and... And in that, that, that together they can share in the wellness of God's presence and his creation. That together Adam and Eve was able to experience all that God wanted them to experience in, in, in the Garden of Eden. And that's awesome, right? That God saw this and decided to fix it. And what this showed me is that we serve a relational God. We serve a God uh, that, that has created us for relationships, for connection. But the problem is... Some of us even today have taken account of our faith and have wrestled uh, in our own walk with God in the state of our relationships, right? Do some of you feel disconnected with one another? Do some of you feel isolated? Do you feel alone in your discipleship? Another question is, how much do you currently value in surrounding yourselves with key relationships? So you think about the mentors in your life. Maybe the role of disciplers, taking care of someone was created by our church. You know, taking care, this the idea of discipling was, was, was really something that are constructed by our church, by our movement. But really the responsibility of walking with your brother and sister is for sure a biblical practice that Jesus exemplified. Yeah. Right? So the role of, disciple, of the, this responsibility of discipling is nothing new, nothing new than what we read here in the Bible. But another problem we can have, especially for me, is I blame it, you know, on the way that our society uh, is thinking and how the way that we're that the world is viewing relationships is constantly shifting and changing. We're for sure becoming a little bit more independent. 
right? But God put it on my heart to help us challenge ourselves to restore our relationships. And this was a central theme in the gospel as Jesus came to restore our relationship with God, but he also came to restore our relationship with one another. And so I kind of showed it a little bit, but the title of our lesson today uh, is Check Your Team. Everyone say that. Check your team. Check your team. Right? This idea of, of, of team, the definition is when two or more people work together. When two or more people work together. So meaning today we're going to think about, man, I, I challenge you guys to check who you're doing life with. Who's in your circle? Check your team. The, again, Genesis 2.18. We already read that scripture. But the first point uh, is the value of friendship. The value of friendship. And I'm going to be sharing a lot of my own testimony, uh, a lot of my own relationships and my journey, uh, even spiritually uh, as a disciple. And so I'm going to share a lot of uh, kind of personal examples. But, but the value of friendship, right? When, when we think about our team, how do we know who to surround ourselves with if we don't first reflect on the value that friendship can have in our lives and the friendships that we make? You know, the story of the paralyzed man and his four friends is a great parallel to how valuable key friendships can be and how that can impact your life. And, you know, the story helps break down what, what we need to think about when we, when we think about, okay, Roy, what, what is the value of friendship? As so I offer you guys these things to maybe think about when we think about our friendships. But first, we've got to think about who you are. Who you are. And in this story, I think someone that we can really connect with, and I connected with when I was reflecting on this passage, is the paralyzed man. And I come before you guys to tell you that, that we are all the paralyzed man. You know, but we don't know this man, right? We don't know how long his condition has lasted up until this moment, right? But however, based off context clues, theologians have broken down that those with physical ailments or diseases were cast outs in society due to their condition, right? Some even thought that these people uh, or these people with these physical ailments or diseases, they were literally convinced that they were like that because of their sin and that God was punishing them because of maybe past things that they've done and that's why they were like that. But essentially what this paralyzed man or who this paralyzed man was is that he was in a broken state. This paralyzed man was in a broken state, and I want you to think about your life when you were at your most broken. You know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in the church, but despite me knowing God uh, and growing up uh, and, you know, in Kingdom Kids and knowing all the songs, knowing all the stories and knowing who God was at a young age, Satan still got me. Satan still captured me as a young man, and, and, and what he ended up doing was he left me in a broken state. The patterns of my sin, my impurity, my deceit, the way I was able to mask who I truly was on the inside were things that I consistently wrestled with in my own walk with God. You know, like A.W. Tozer warned that the ability to mask my true self left me with a condition where spiritually I felt paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't be who I wanted to be, who God wanted me to be. But like this man, how often was I convinced that I was unworthy of attention and spiritual redemption? And probably like the paralyzed man, I felt like I'm just watching all these people pass by and I'm left here. 
by myself in the state that I'm in. You know, but even as a disciple, and luckily being able to be baptized in 2010 or November 28, 2010, I was still a young kid. Um, but, but in my heart, I knew what it meant to, be, to say, Jesus, Lord. I found myself that time and time again, I'm reminded of the pain felt when my spirit and faith was broken. But, but the great news here is that Jesus came to restore the broken. Amen? Jesus came to restore the broken that who you were has no impact on who you were meant to be through Jesus. And the truth is, at one point in time, maybe even now, but definitely in the future, that we, without Jesus, we are at a broken state. So if you feel confident in your faith right now, I guarantee you that in the future, without Jesus, we will be familiar with that broken state once again. You know, even in our broken state, Satan tries to convince us that we are alone. But I love how this man continued to hold on to his relationships, which is indicative that in my current state, I may not have control on what's happening, but I can have control in how I respond. Amen. You know, many who were sick or paralyzed continue to have pity on themselves or seek pity from others. But you don't hear about the ones who don't approach Jesus. You know, being healed and, and what, uh, what, that is, uh, what that is due to their comfortability with their own condition. But, you know, we, we may not have control over our current circumstances, you know, in, in our lives that break our hearts. But through God and, and the glory of that is, is that the people he placed in our lives uh, is, is a blessing. And I sure hope that there's confidence set in you because of the ways that you can respond in your brokenness. Right. You know, Satan brings me down, but I got people to help pull me back up. Right. I got people in my life. I got people in my corner. And it reminds me that I don't have to be a victim, but I can be a victor. Amen. That I don't have to be a victim, but I can be a victor through Jesus, his grace, but also the relationships that he's put in my life. Because we are these we are these things paralyzed by sin and in need of healing. But without But with Jesus, we can experience a new life transformed like this paralyzed man. So who you are. The second thing is who you're with, right? You know, the company you keep determines the value of your relationships. The company you keep determines the value of your relationships. So meaning, if we're mindless in choosing the right company, if we don't pay attention to the people that we put in our circle how many of us know that that will soon reflect in your dynamic with others, right? In Proverbs thirteen twenty, right in, here in this corner, it says, Walk with the wise and become wise, before a companion of fools suffers harm. And so essentially what it's saying is you essentially just attract who you are. You, you attract you, right? And, you know, I have this kind of crazy story uh, well, in, if you guys don't know, my senior year, so 2014, I was a disciple for about four to five years, and I decided to walk away from God. But all throughout high school and up until the point of my senior year, a lot of people knew me as a church kid. Uh, I was uh, part of the Truth Be Told or the TBT club that we would have in high school. So everyone knew me as that kid that like went up during club rush and was like, Jesus and pizza, come for some free pizza and you'll get a great lesson from the Bible. Uh, a lot of people came, but they mostly came for the pizza, which is okay, as long as they came through the door. And then we were even, even able to 
baptize a couple people from our high school during the time that I was there. Um, but in 2014, I decided to walk away. Uh, and I kept the friends that I've had that were not part of the church uh, with me. And there was one night where I decided, you know what? For all the times that I didn't want to go to parties with them, that I didn't want to go to kickbacks with them, and I knew what they did in those parties, I decided, you know what? Tonight I'm going to come. Tonight I'm going to call them up say, hey, I know you guys are hanging out tonight. Come pick me up. I would love to come. And so I knew in my heart that I'm, I'm, I'm completely out. I'm leaving God. I'm going to live for myself, indulge in my own gratification. Uh, and literally in that, uh, in that car were, was a full car, and it was all my friends that I grew up with since middle school. And on the way there, you know, my friends pulled out everything and anything you can possibly smoke. And so people pulled out vapes. People pulled out joints, um, blunts. Some even, for some reason, had a whole, like, contraption out a whole bong like in his car and then they all just decided to like to smoke it and in the back of my in the back of the car i'm like whoa this is the surrounding that i that i'm that i'm in right now and and you started to go for it and on the outside i was comfortable but on the inside i was like man what's going on how did i get here and i believe god orchestrated this moment because all at once literally just felt like a snap they all stopped what they were doing and they all turned to me, and I was sitting on, like, the back left of the car. And they all turned to me, eyes wide open, some shut because they were a little high. Um, <laughs> right? And they turned to me, and they said, I'm so glad that you decided to come with us tonight. Because we know you're a righteous guy. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm righteous if I'm here in this car, right? But they say, you're a righteous guy. So you being with us tonight and not judging us help, helps us realize that we're not completely bad people. And I just remembered, like, sitting in the car because it was literally before the kickback. And I was like, man, I was decided to get drunk tonight or, like, do something crazy. And so in my heart, I just felt worse because in my heart, my desire was to disobey my identity that I once had in Christ. But that is when I learned the truth on this lesson that you attract who you are. Because I was broken at that point, and I was willing to turn to other things away from God, therefore led me to the company of those guys that night. But my friends were in search of truth. They were in search for something deeper in life, but were not willing to go deep and rather felt more comfortable with the shallow living that they were living. And that was exactly who I was that night. So not only did I attract these guys, but they were attracted to me because of just the things we were wrestling in my heart. So no wonder we were together. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Ain't that the truth? So in order to seek proper value in your friendships, know who you're with. Know, know the value that they have in your life. We have to check our team. And what the third thing, third and final thing for this first point is what they'll do. And so, I, so this is an image of uh, some people in my own teen ministry. I don't know if you can see me. I'm that kid with like the green, green hat. Uh, and we're all trying to learn how to shaka, but we're to- completely doing it wrong. Uh, but I grew up in Hawaii, so I don't know why I taught them um, how to how to do it. So we're just doing this. It's not a gang sign, I promise you. Uh, but right, you know, leaving the church, what I ended up doing was I was sacrificing years of friendships with guys I grew up with in the teens. 
And some of these guys, like, were, were key friends that, I, that I've grown up with for multiple years. That's Ruben Deanda. Uh, he led our teen ministry uh, and essentially just pulled in uh, all these guys. And he just has this magic touch or the spirit that really brings camaraderie. And so I love these guys and I have fond memories, right? But like, again, I sacrificed years of friendships when I left, you know, but something that I was grateful for that despite my decisions, they all decided to stay faithful and kept in contact. And so these are, are us just a lot more, a lot older. Uh, and, and these are some of my most faithful friends in the exception of some that are out of this photo. That's Martin Chires. He took over after Ruben and absolutely just solidified my friendships with these guys. Uh, and they are forever my friends, you know, and, uh, you know, I think about the most pivotal moments in my spiritual journey and who they were to me despite leaving the church and falling away. And so my first story is uh, uh, this camping trip. And so I was completely gone. Uh, I was in my freshman year going to orientation, and I wanted to join a frat because I was like, man, I do not want to stay with these guys. A lot of them actually moved to Riverside um, to lead the campus ministry in UCR. So I was like, oh, man, like I haven't seen these guys in years, and now they're leading the ministry So I'm going to see them every day, sharing their faith, right? But after a year and a half of not talking and reconnecting, uh, I needed a place to stay because I missed the date to apply for dorms. And luckily, they had a room or they had an extra bed. So I was like, so I called them up after a year and like, hey, guys, like I haven't talked to you guys in a year. Uh, I cut you guys off. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And they were like, you know what, let's, let's, let's give this guy another chance. So they invited me to go camping. So I'm like, all right, I'll go camping. There's, not, there's nothing harmless or harmful about camping. Uh, but little did I know it was our annual church campus camping trip. <laughs> so they tricked me. They said, no, nah, just a few of us are going to go camping. And then I walk in, and Stuart Maines is over here like, guys, welcome. Whoa, Roy, I haven't seen you in a year. How are you doing? I heard you left the church. <laughs> right? And so, uh, so rather than, you know, just hanging out, it was... Literally nothing but prayer, devotionals, uh, and the woods. So I was like, man, I'm stuck. I'm stuck here. Um, but after hearing like a couple of testimonies of guys I really resonated with and forcing myself to just reconnect with God, because at that point I was trying to denounce God in my life, but I couldn't. So I was like crying myself to sleep, thinking, God, why have you shown me who you were? Um, and then in that camping trip, I decided, you know what, I've I got to come back. And like Johnny, you know, I, I fought hard um, to come back to the church and come back in my relationship. And I actually got restored uh, 2015 at the beginning of that year. Uh, and so since then, obviously, I've been a faithful disciple. Uh, but, you know, after getting restored, another funny story. You know, I focused so much on the fun and reconnecting with the friendships uh, that I had uh, that my semester grades started to slip. Because I was, you know, this devoted disciple, right? I was sharing my faith, and I was, like, going to all these, like, hangouts, and my, my grades were slipping. And so Sam and Amari, they're actually there. Sam's the guy with the beard, and Amari's the guy on the right. You probably know them. Um, but uh, they, they said, hey, come, come hang out with us. We want to take you out to lunch. I'm like, okay, amen. So I, I go over there to their household. It's just, a, like, literally the next building. And they actually locked me in a room and discipled me about my character, uh, and Sam actually even said, you know, with your grades, you are a disgrace to the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? And I started crying. I was like, oh, man, oh, dang it, like I am. I am a disgrace. 
Uh, but a disciple of my character, and luckily I, I, I graduated uh, in that semester on the dean's list, so I repented. Amen. Amen. Uh, and the last story, you know, uh, when I needed them the most, uh, these guys showed up in the most important day of my life, and that's when I got married. And that's actually Sam right there hugging Amari, uh, and then that's Chris Galang, Matthew Keys, Amici, they were all in that... Um, all in that photo, that's Chris Galang, who moved to Hawaii, Momoa, and those are two of my brothers on the far left and right. I think my brother got cut out, so I hope he doesn't see this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they were by my side at my wedding, and it was a ton of fun. And we all vowed, um, because of the friendship that we have, that we were going to be in each other's weddings. And this past weekend, uh, I actually got a chance to celebrate one of the other guys I got married. That's Chris Galang and his wedding. And then we recreated this photo that we took. That's actually a photo that's like five years apart. Um, it doesn't seem like we changed much, but except for Amari's hair, he looks like black Jesus, but amen. Um, he looks great. I love his curls. And then, but it was so much fun. You know, I traveled in Hawaii. I was away from my wife for a little bit, and it was, it was sad because I was separated from Alicia. But it's just so great to be with those friends. You know, and the hard part is, and this is going to be a little tough for me to share, is that some of these guys actually don't attend our church anymore. And so we were all, at one point, faithful disciples, and we were, had dreams in, in this church, and, but due to some reasons and some hard experiences, you know, they all decided, you know, I'm going to fight for my relationship with God, but it's not going to be here uh, in our church. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, they are crippled in their faith. Um, they, they, they're fighting to stay connected with God. Uh, and I, you know, I take where they're at spiritually, personally, because of how indebted I am to them. Uh, when I was at my lowest, they were there for me. You know, but being part of a church that have hurt them became one of my biggest insecurities. And, you know, spending time with them this past weekend at the wedding, I realized that who they needed to be was to have the same heart as the paralyzed man's friends. Right? That at that moment, when they can't walk by themselves spiritually, they have someone to call as their friend to help them carry them to Jesus. So growing up, we vowed to be BFFs, but what I have in them is an FFF, a faith-filled friend. Right? I don't know if you guys heard that term before. An FFF, faith-filled friend, right? But check your team. Uh, these guys are, are, are my brothers. Now, the last point is centered on Christ, and this is going to be pretty quick. You know, I heard this story a lot growing up, and I love the audacity of the friends, but when I was writing this lesson and reflecting deeper into the story, I believe there's something else to be discovered. You know, when we try to imagine how this passage illustrates how crowded it was, it says there was absolutely no room, right? Nowhere to sit. Large crowds gathered around Jesus. So now if you picture this entire scene you would begin to imagine how overwhelming it would be for the four friends with this mission in mind, right? How crowded it was. As I thought about the description of the scene and how crowded, usually when people are presenting in this type of capacity, they're, they're, they're most likely in the middle of the entire crowd. So imagine this, right? Like this whole room is that, that room where Jesus was preaching and there was all these people surrounded, all the doors were blocked. Right, And Jesus was right here in the center, preaching. But there was all these people surrounding. There were all these large crowds, nowhere to sit. right? And 
Suddenly, this mud-made roof started to crumble and an opening starts to happen. And the beam of light comes down and what you see is four heads start peeking. And you're like, what, is this, what are these guys doing, right? I came here early. Like, they need to go find their own seat, right? And then, but, but then you see them kind of disperse and then lower this paralyzed man right where Jesus was standing, right there in the middle. Then the paralyzed man banished by society. Probably some of the people that were sitting in that room were walking to where Jesus was speaking and passed them, passed that guy up. And it was not worthy of their attention. But what was so awesome is that although he was denied um, by society and people didn't think he existed or was important, that man was getting inches closer to Jesus. So as the man comes to the foot uh, or the feet of Jesus, that the passage says that what saves him was not his faith, right, but the faith of the four friends. Jesus saw those four friends and said, because of your faith. And it says, even in, says in the passage, Jesus saw their faith. And knowing how Jesus cherished the lives he impacted, that I totally believe that when he foresaw the cross, he was probably inspired and was thinking about these four friends and their willingness and selflessness. We're in John fifteen thirteen, right? So this is a good image. John fifteen thirteen, it says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I believe he was absolutely influenced by this moment in time. But what impacted me about these friends is that despite the mass of people around Jesus, they saw their mission to bring their friend in need to the feet of Jesus. And that these people who were crowding this opportunity, they saw as as an obstacle or deterrent, but nothing stopped their way and their mission to help their friend in need. You know, these four friends changed the life of this man forever. What are the lengths you will go for the people in your life that desire a moment at the feet of Jesus? Do you have a team in your moments, to help you spiritually? Are you this level of friend who sees the need to help others get to the center where Jesus is? Check your team. Check your team. I'll explain this a little bit, but in conclusion, you know, I hope we see this amazing example and how important it is when we see our faith and the faith in others. And I want you guys to believe that it is absolutely better when we walk together, right? And I'm certain in many ways you thought about people in your lives that are in a broken state. You felt the call to carry them to the foot of the cross. Maybe some of you resonated with the paralyzed man that in your broken state right now, you're calling for friends to come and carry you. But regardless, Jesus paved the way of discipleship that a main component of our discipleship is relationship. This relationship we have in this world should be vehicles for God's mighty love to be experienced in ways that can only be found in the church. You know, take a look around in this room right now. Take a look around in this room. I'm sure you see a couple people that you can call your FFF, right, your faith-filled friend. But take another look around this room. See who isn't here. What is the current state of their faith right now? Where are they at spiritually? Why are they not here? We've got to remember that our church isn't a program. It's not an event. It's not something that you line up for or you come in, you come out. 
but it's a circle. It's a team. Our church is a community of people. You know, Scott has been saying for multiple weeks now, church happens outside of these four walls. And we have to continue to fight to maintain how devoted we are to one another. And so to help us remember these two points, right? The value of friendship, changing the way we see how important it is, and the act of being centered on Christ in our own walk and helping those around us to get, to get there, we have to understand that the value of friendship is centered on Christ. The value of friendship is centered on Christ. You know, it says that there's no greater love than that found in Christ, right? In the passage or in the Bible, it even says, how do others know that we are disciples when we what? When we love one another. Let's fight for our faith. Let's fight harder for the faith of our brothers and sisters who are calling our name right now. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to take out your communion. And we're all going to take it together. I'm going to pray for the communion. But let's just take a moment of silence as we think about, man, how awesome is the love of Christ. Right? That he was able to show this perfect example on the cross that we should then be empowered to also show that same love to others. Right? So let's take a moment of silence. And then we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for your son. God, I know that when he prayed, uh, I pray in, in Gethsemane, God, he not only prayed for the purpose of why he was dying on the cross, but I loved how he ended off those prayers praying for the disciples, but also praying for those in the world that is desiring to seek you. God, that when Jesus was on the cross, what he was thinking about is not himself, not the pain he just experienced for hours on end, but what he was, what he was thinking about and praying about and thinking was us, this church, the community, the relationships that we get to have. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you of what, the, what dying on the cross means for us and the freedom and the grace that we get to experience through that. Lord, help us to see that love, value that love, and value the friendships and the relationships that we have. Lord, it is so much better when we walk this life together. Help us to be impacted by your son, Jesus Christ, as we reflect on the bread that's been broken, the body that's been broken for us, and the blood that your son has shed as we reflect on that with the juice. God, we love you. Pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. Amen. So to end off, before we have Scott come up with uh, to pray, we're actually going to have five minutes on the clock. I want you guys to turn to the person to your left, your right, kind of discuss with one another. We have five minutes um, because it's all about being better together. Amen. So better yet to uh, fellowship with one another, but also be able to be deep with one another. And so answer these two questions. Who is in your team? How do they add value to your spiritual walk? So maybe think about those who are in your life, and, but think about the value that they have. Uh, for your walk, but also think about this question, what will you do to help your friends be centered on Christ? But maybe you feel like you are not in a position to help others. So what do you need to be? Or what do you need to be centered on Christ? Or how do you need to be centered on Christ? I kind of misspelled that, that question. But let's take some five minutes. I'm going to put up on the clock, or I think Sarah can put it up on, on the board. Um, okay, amen. If you guys have those questions again, uh, it is, who is in your life? 
Think about that. And then how do you need to be centered on Christ? Or how can you help others be centered on Christ? Amen? Amen.